when your partner in life is toxic, how do you move? How do you breathe? How do you decide what's next? How do you know when it's time for hope and when it's time to let go? How do you figure out where your control ends and your partner's begins? That's what we're talking about today on Business Mindset Mastery. It is not an easy conversation to have, but sometimes our personal lives have to take the forefront before our businesses can come into view. And that's today's question. My name's Heather Gray. I'm currently a mindset and performance coach for business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. But in my former life, um, I was a clinically trained therapist. And I feel like in this kind of episode for this kind of conversation, it's important that I add that caveat to the conversation. I think there's a lot of online coaches and consultants who sort of jump into the fray about any difficult conversation just to appear as an expert. I just want to assure you all of my expertise for this particular conversation because it is so sensitive. So I received an email um, from uh, somebody who's actually in my email community. So I have a, a group of people who like to keep in touch with what I'm doing and get updates on the latest podcast episodes that I do or who have read one of my articles online. And I, I keep in touch with them through a regular newsletter. Um, and one of the questions that I ask periodically to the people that I'm talking to in my email community is where does it hurt? I think I um, told you that I found that line in a, a new uh, Sugarland song called Tuesday's Broken. It was a song that just kind of stopped me in my tracks because the question question is, what if we ask, where does it hurt? I think so often that's the most simple way that we can be human is to simply ask somebody, where does it hurt? So that's what I did in my email, and I got a really personal response back that we're all going to listen to and we're all going to respect, and hopefully when I find you on the other side, I will be able to guide this listener to her next steps. So here, let's just listen in with some sensitivity, open ears, and open hearts. I'm seriously crying, filled with emotion, all because you asked the simple question of where I hurt. I hurt in my heart. I hurt from his depression, his addiction, the lies, lack of emotion, inability to get up and go to work, and general lack of interest at life. I'm tired of having the burden of how our bills are going to get paid and the loneliness of having a partner that isn't there for me or for our kids. But most of all, I'm sad that he's given up on everything. Am I crazy or a fool to believe the thi that things can change, especially if he's not doing anything to change his situation? I'm really good at being a leader and setting boundaries in a work situation, but not in an intimate relationship. So I guess I'm asking for tools or advice or some direction to help with relationship boundaries and how to be encouraging without enabling. Okay, first of all, I, I just want to thank you for trusting me with this. This is a hugely, hugely personal problem. Um, and, you know, you haven't personally met me in person. So I'm so glad that the words I've offered at some other point in time led you to me and the opportunity for me to help you with this. Um, because I think the situation you're describing is incredibly, incredibly isolating. It's the things we don't talk about at work. So when you go to work and somebody 
ask how your night was the night before, you usually just say fine because you don't want to talk about drunken stupors or the fact that um, you did everything by yourself after a day's work. So you usually just kind of blow it off with some, you know, quick cliches and nobody really knows. The kind of life you're describing is so incredibly isolating and it's so hard to get out of your way because what ends up happening is because the other person isn't doing anything, you start to assume all responsibility because if you're not going to do it, who's going to do it? And you end up finding yourself without any intention, without any plan or goal or roadmap to do it, just simply saying yes to everything because if you because saying no doesn't feel like an option. So I think that part of this journey for you starts with some self-acceptance and self-compassion. As you listen back to this letter you wrote to me, my guess is and my story is that you know you have said yes to a lot of BS that you should have said no to. You asked specifically for help in relationship boundaries and I'm going to help you with that. But the first thing we need to do is get you to come to understand how did you get here? When did you first start saying yes to this toxic behavior? When did your silence become permission? When did you just simply start numbing out and the things got worse? How did you get here? Because so often when people find themselves in this situation, the focus is entirely on the other person. Well, what is he saying and what is he doing and how is he acting and what has he tried and what hasn't he tried? And the focus quickly shifts off of you. But the only thing we have any control over here is you. You're the functioning person in this relationship. And I know you probably don't feel like you're functioning. You see yourself as doing the tasks and cleaning the house and taking care of the kids and going to work and paying the bills. But you probably feel so far from functioning because you see yourself as somebody who's letting this happen. So we have to figure out how you got here. What were the warning signs? What boundaries have you already tried to set? What things have you already tried to do? And when you look at the boundaries you've tried to set, which boundaries were broken that you failed to enforce? This is a task of ownership and accountability, but you have to do it with so much compassion because here's the thing. Anybody who reads this letter could just say, girlfriend, just take those kids and leave. But I have talked to so many women in this situation. I have worked with so many families and you can't just pick up and leave from a toxic relationship because then you risk that your kids are going to have to be alone with that toxic person in the event of a divorce or a separation, especially I, I'm assuming here that he's um, their father. I don't I don't know that for sure, of course, but that like people are held hostage by that idea that if they leave this relationship, that the toxic person will end up in sole custody type of situation and not even like on a per- full time basis. But, you know, a, a lone Saturday afternoon when you know that he's capable of so much toxicity, you find yourself not wanting your kids 
alone for that afternoon. Or you start thinking about the money situation and recognizing that it can be really expensive to live as a single mom. I know that the answer isn't just pick up and leave, but I also know the answer is that you have to stop saying yes to unacceptable behavior. You have to stop thinking that if you hold him accountable, it's only going to get worse because that's the thing with addiction. That's the thing with depression. The response of the sufferer, the, um, you know, the response of the toxic person so often is manipulative and threatening. If you make me talk about this, how do you expect this to get any better? If you make me feel bad about myself because I'm depressed or I have this problem, how do you expect anything's going to get better? So you're emotionally held hostage with the fear of holding somebody accountable. But the reality is, is they are going to do what they are going to do regardless of what you do. There's a natural consequence to being toxic. There are many natural consequences to being toxic. You lose trust in the people who love and care about you. You lose a sense of sort of connectedness and belonging, and you lose a say and what happens next other than what you do. And you can't protect your partner from the natural consequence of his toxicity, from the fact that you don't care about him in the way that you used to, that, um, you know, that he's not trustworthy, that anything that comes with the guilt and the conscience that comes from somebody who's checked out of his life and checked out of his family. So often people are so afraid to say those things out loud, to say your kids are scared of you, your kids don't want to hang out with you, because they're so afraid that that that'll just hurt the the sufferer and the toxic person even more that they don't say anything. So much about having good, solid relationship boundaries is recognizing that by definition, you are telling someone that they want to be closer to you than you want to be to them. That you are telling somebody, this is where you end and this is where I begin. And they are going to have a reaction to that. And that is not a reason to not set a boundary. Most often, it's the absolute reason for why you should set a boundary. I know you want specific steps and stages here, but I don't know enough about your situation and I wouldn't be so presumptuous to say, go and just do this. But what I can tell you is that you need a network of support of people who have your back and people who are not going to judge you. So if you don't currently have a therapist, I really think you need to get one because the changes and the boundaries that you were going to put in place are going to challenge you. They're going to force you to move through your life and move through your family differently. So the first thing that I want you to sort of be in your bones honest about is do you still want to be with this man? You say, am I, you know, am I crazy for hoping? Am I dumb for like, you know, thinking that this could get better? What I can tell you, it is, it's unrealistic and unlikely that without intervention, your husband's going to independently or your partner is going to independently get better on his own, that he's just going to wake up one day and want to be a different person. However, he might 
change when something changes because that's the reality, right? When one thing changes, everything that changes. So if you change your role in this dynamic with him, if you change what you allow and what you tolerate and you let him know clearly what life is going to be like for him and the choices you're going to make if this continues, then yes, he might respond differently. A lot of people respond to boundaries with respect and positivity because boundaries make people feel safe. People like to know the limits in their life. But right now, you can't trust him for every anything because he's shown you who he is. You have to believe him. So right now, it's about getting clear on what it is you want, what it is you need, and what you're willing to do and what you're willing to enforce to get there. And you may not be able to think big picture. You may be in daily survival mode right now which is why I really like the idea of you getting regular and consistent therapy. Someone who can be on the outside looking in into your situation, somebody who can say, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I'm hearing, have you thought about trying this? And then the other piece to this that I have to ask is, you know, who else does he belong to? Is he a son with, you know, capable functioning parents? Is he a brother or, you know, to a sibling with, to a functional sibling? Does he have friends or people who care about him? Because this is a point of crisis, a point of, you know, where he needs some extra support and it can't all be on you. So is there a way that you can reach out to other people to say, hey, he's in a really dark spot. It's bringing us to a really dangerous and scary place. I need some help because that's another way to build your tribe and to build your army. Addiction is filled with so much shame. Mental illness and depression is filled with so much shame and so much embarrassment that so often people forget and don't think or choose not to say something out loud and to choose to keep their circle really, really tight and really, really small. But your family is in crisis right now and pretending otherwise is unrealistic. Sitting on a hope and a wing and a prayer and hoping that things are going to magically get better is completely unrealistic. I understand stand of course why you wish and hope for this because my story about you isn't that you saw some addict on a couch incapable of work incapable of functioning and said that guy he's my future he's my forever he's my last he wasn't always this guy I don't know what happened. I don't know what the story is. But at some point in time, he was capable of more. He did more for you. He showed up more for you. That's typically how kids happen, right? Is that you on some level were at least attracted to some part of this person. And that's how you end up sharing a household together. So it wasn't always like this. There are ways of bringing healing to your family. But it starts with the expectation that he do that. That at some point in time, and you may not get there right away, you may need to be in therapy for a little while before you kind of, you know, are able to sort of find the the courage and the bravery to say, like, this isn't the way I'm going to live my life. This isn't how this is going to be. I need something different. The kids need something different. And I expect something more. But one of the things that sometimes can create movement and can create some sort of conversation is to simply reflect back to the person 
this is this is what I'm seeing. And see what, you know, your partner says in response to say, hey, it's been a couple of weeks and, you know, not a lot has changed. And I see you're on the couch a lot. I see you're keeping odd hours and you're not really eating, but you're drinking a lot. Um, and I'm, I'm really not sure how to help or what you need. Is this something that's bothering you? Is this something that's concerning you? Or are you good with this? Because so often with toxic people, at some point in time, after we've tried to manage, after we've tried to beg, borrow, plead, and cajole, we just get to this place of not asking, of assuming. And sometimes if you just give the person the opportunity to share their experience, you get new insight that can sometimes lead you to new solutions. But the only way this happens is with the conversation. And it has to start, it can't start with you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that, because that just brings up the walls of defense. But if you just say, hey, I'm seeing you, I see what's going on. Is this something that's bothering you? Is this something that you're willing to change? And are you willing to get help for it? Sometimes that alone can shift the conversation in ways that you can't anticipate. But yes, going forward, you are absolutely going to need to set boundaries around what you tolerate. But don't set a boundary that you're not willing to enforce. You know, one of the things you have kids, so I'm going to use this example. How many times with your own kids or in a grocery store, have you heard or have you either heard the mom or been the mom who tells your kids one more time and we're just going home one more time and you're not getting ice cream one more time and you're not playing video games one more time, one more time. And they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. And the mom never enforces the consequence or you never enforce the consequence. That's what happens with boundaries. As soon as you set a boundary, like we're all kind of biologically wired to test that boundary and limit a little bit. So he's going to test it. So don't set a boundary that you're not willing to enforce. If you're telling him that unless you go to work, I'm moving out, but you know you're never going to actually move out, don't say that. Um, don't threaten to you know, withhold the kids from him unless you're going to follow through on that. Um, let, and that doesn't mean that you know. so often when people look at that conversation around boundaries, it's so all or nothing. It's so black and white. But you can say like, you know, you haven't chosen to be in this relationship. I need you to know that I'm choosing not to interact with you. That like we can be in this house together, but I'm going to work around you because this isn't working for me. Or you're not bringing in money. I need you to know that I'm taking control over the bank account or, you know, figuring out what it is you're willing to do, recognizing that you are quarter past done. You don't have an emotional checking account because that depleted a while ago. You don't have an emotional savings account account because that depleted a while ago. You and your kids have been running on a line of credit with this guy for quite some time. So you, my friend, are exhausted and you're tired and you're brokenhearted. It is really hard to be brave. It is really hard to take the big moves when you're quarter past done and exhausted. So the next thing I want you to focus on is some self-care, on filling your own tank, recognizing and accepting that you can't save him, but you can save yourself. So leaning on your girlfriends, 
you know, journaling, speaking your truth, getting like getting the muck and the dirt and the loneliness and the sadness outside of you and out like on paper, talking about it, releasing it, getting yourself some therapy, taking physical care of your health, making sure you're eating and sleeping and you're staying well hydrated, that you are your most important asset and you need to take care of it. Like you need you to get through this. So you are going to have to take care of yourself to strengthen your reserves, to create a little bit of, you know, bank so that you're not so quickly defeated. And that might take some time. You have been living this way for so long that you can't see your way out. And I know that's scary, but you are capable of making the movement necessary for the change. You said at the end of the letter a really important skill that I want you to think about here. You said, I'm really good at leadership in my work life, but I suck at my personal life. You don't have to treat this any different, my friend. You can use what you know about boundary setting. You can use what you know about leadership, about setting standards and expectations and follow through. And you can use what you know in your work life to inform you in your personal life. You can bring that skill set home. You don't have to lock it up at the office at the end of the day. So I would tune into your work persona. You know, one of the things that I, you know, always joke about is at the start of my career, I uh, worked in a residential home for adolescent kids. And when you're sort of laying down the law and setting limits left and right, you kind of puff up a little bit. There's a little bit of bravado and you're sort of, um, you know, creating this mental game in yourself that you're capable of handling anything that comes next. I I haven't worked in residential in close to 20 years now, but I can tell you that anytime I need a little bit of confidence, anytime I need a little bit of bravery, I tune into that work self, that badassery self (laughs) that doesn't always show itself in my personal life so that I can manage whatever comes next. And sometimes I'll use the same words. I'll use the same sort of systems and patterns and ways of moving through the world when I'm that successful and I'll apply them to my personal life. I think you're probably very likely ignoring a skill set that you already have that you just need to, you know, sort of bring home with you one day. This is a lot. And without, you know, all the details and, um, you know, without all the sort of, you know, sort of the you have the outline here, but we haven't colored it in. I'm really hesitant to give you more specific advice than this, but I can absolutely tell you that you really need to get yourself into therapy. It is hard to be brave. It is hard to make these bold choices without an understanding of A, how you got here and support in deciding what's next. But I also know that if you go and you just open up Amazon or you hit a bookstore, there are so many books and so many resources on supporting yourself while you're living with a loved one who has an addiction and depression. Um, I'm going to go and do a search myself. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, um, but I know that there's a bunch I used to recommend. So I'm going to put the, the links to any recommendations I think of after I record into the show notes so you can easily find them for yourself. Um, I want you to be compassionate for yourself here. I want you to forgive yourself um, and I want you to, to just respond respect who you are and how you move through the world. Um, And I want you so like, this is so important that I just want you to remember 
that this is not how your story is going to end. At any point in time, you can stop and write a new chapter. And hopefully the words I've offered here are helping you start to do that. I'm so glad you reached out. I I really do wish I could help you more, but hopefully... um, I'm also too going to give you a link for how to find a therapist in the show notes as well. That'll help you um, as well. But anybody else listening to uh, psychologytoday.com, when I was a therapist, I listed myself on that listing. And anybody who needs regular therapy, you can do the search for a therapist option. The therapist will include a little bit of a bio for the, you, you to like learn more about them. Um, they offer a little bit of insight into who they are, how they work. They list their insurance company where they, you know, how far they are from your work or how far they are from your home. The piece of advice that I always give people is choose a therapist who also has a website. So when you go to a listing on psychologytoday.com and you see all the therapists, you then click on a link for a website and you get to know more about them. It decreases the odds that by the time you find someone, they're not going to be a right fit because you've, you know, completely checked them out a little bit and you get a sense of their style and their voice. So I I think that that's a, you know, a really good um, option for you. I'll put those directions in the show notes as well. Um, This is a big episode and I don't think you're the only listener I have who's struggling with managing toxic people. So everybody else listening, I certainly hope that if you're in this situation too, where you recognize parts of yourself and our listener story, that you hold yourself with that same compassion, that same self-acceptance. And um, I, I appreciate the trust you place in me and helping you guide your way out of it. Thanks so much for joining me today. I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.